Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello there, and welcome back to our study of the Book of Acts, a study called Unstoppable. Let me ask you a question. When you feel the worst, who do you most want to see at that moment? Who is the best person in the world to cheer you up, to calm you down, to improve your perspective? When you have to talk to someone who will understand who is it, your husband, your wife, your best friend, your counselor, your pastor? Well, for many years, it was my wife, Katrina, who is now in heaven. But whoever that person is, you know as well as I do that a timely visit at a crucial time by a tremendous friend can be of enormous help. It was certainly that way with the Apostle Paul. And that's what I want to talk about today as we continue our study, Unstoppable, through the book of Acts. Today, we're going to look at chapter 23, and I want to focus on just one verse. But first, let me say a word about my book, The Jordan River Rules. If your small or large group Bible study is looking for a book to study that will take you through a significant and important portion of Scripture, then consider this little blue book called The Jordan River Rules. We have a study guide to go along with it, as well as video curriculum, and it will take you through the book of Joshua, chapters 1 through 6, as the people of Israel go forward into their promised land. Let me just give you very quickly the first five Jordan River rules. Number one, realize God means for you to move forward. Number two, say no to discouragement and yes to strength. Three, step up to the moment. Four, find someone to help along the way. And five, expect God to guide you where you have never been before. Now, those are extrapolated right out of the book of Joshua, and there are five other rules having to do with going forward and possessing the promised land that God has for you in your life. So you can find this wherever books are sold, and you can also find it at my website, Robert J. Morgan. Well, the verse from the book of Acts that has captured my attention and had me looking into the Bible for other similar verses is Acts 23 and verse 11. This is what it says. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, when the New Testament writers used the word Lord, they typically intended to identify the Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage, Paul is apparently somewhere safe in the Roman headquarters, the Fortress Antonio in Jerusalem, after being uh, narrowly killed by the crowd. Uh, but the Lord uh, protected him, kept him safe, and now he was on his way, uh, as it turns out, to Caesarea, and he would be in the castle there, the palace where he would be uh, imprisoned uh, under 
I think, favorable conditions, such as it was, for two years, and then he would go on to Rome. But this was a a difficult moment for Paul, and he needed a friend. He needed reassurance. He needed guidance, just as we very often do. And so the Lord Jesus came down to Jerusalem personally in some way and delivered a word to Paul that he needed. Now, according to my count, this happened on seven different occasions in the known life of Paul. And I might have missed an occasion, but as I counted them and tried to search them out in the Bible, I found seven different times or periods when the Lord Jesus would visit with Paul. This is a phenomenon which I'm going to call the Jesus visits. And I want to go through these seven times with you because there's a lesson we can learn at the end of all of this. The first time was on the Damascus Road. So far as we know, Paul never saw or met Jesus in Jerusalem during our Lord's regular lifetime before his ascension. But on the Damascus Road, in Acts chapter 9, it says in verses 3 through 5, As he neared, that is Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Well, the heavens above Paul's head had opened, and he saw the enthroned Jesus Christ, but the brilliance of the light instantly blinded him, a condition that lasted for three days before he was supernaturally healed. Verse 19 says that afterwards Paul stayed quite a while in Damascus, and then he went on to Jerusalem. He had left Jerusalem on a fiery mission to menace the church, but now he was returning to Jerusalem as a new convert of the faith he had intended to destroy. And this is the second time that Jesus appears to him. Verse 26 says, and I'm back in the book of Acts in chapter 9, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him out to the apostles and told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. And notice how overtly says that Saul saw the Lord Jesus. He had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him. And in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Well, this is Paul's first visit back to Jerusalem after his conversion, and it says nothing right here in the text, in the book of Acts in chapter 9, about Jesus meeting with him, but there is something left out of the story. Something else happened to Paul during this time in Jerusalem. He did have another visit with the Lord Jesus, and he told the story later. He told it himself in Acts chapter 22 and verse 17. He said, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he, Jesus said, leave Jerusalem immediately 
because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. This is Jesus speaking to Paul in Jerusalem in a trance. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So that is when and why Paul and his friends fled town and went down to Caesarea and booked Paul passage back to his home country of Tarsus. So Jesus appeared to Paul first as a light from heaven in the Damascus road and then later in a trance while Paul was praying in the temple. And here in this occasion, he gave Paul the guidance and the needed wisdom to know what to do. So Paul returned to his home region in southern Turkey and, or at least that's what we call it now. And what happened to him during those years? Those are the hidden years of Christ, about a decade when he's really out of our sight. And Luke doesn't bother to tell us a great deal about what Paul was doing during those 10 years. But apparently during this time, Jesus was meeting with Paul in some way or form or fashion and teaching him the gospel doctrines and practices that he would later give to the churches. Now, I'm taking this from several passages, but one is Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul told the Galatians, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ revealed all of this to me. He taught all of this to me. There's an interesting example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, which is the passage in which Paul teaches us how to observe the Lord's Supper. He told the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. In other words, this is what Jesus told me to tell you about the observing of his communion service. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul spoke of receiving information about the nature of the church and of the church age. He said, It was made known to me by revelation that which was not made known, the information was not made known to the prophets of the Old Testament era. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talked about the visions and the revelations he had experienced, including once when he had been transported up to the third heaven itself. He said that because of the greatness of all of those revelations, the Lord had allowed him to be afflicted by a thorn in his flesh, and he had prayed three times for deliverance. But the Lord Jesus had appeared to him yet again, saying, My grace is sufficient for you. So all of these meetings, these revelations, from the Lord Jesus Christ apparently took place during Paul's hidden years before he began his missionary labors to prepare him as a preacher and as a minister and as the great layer out or explainer of the gospel which we have in his 13 incredible letters. So I would assume from this that Paul had extended times with Jesus in some form or fashion 
in visions or revelations or in trances or in being taken up to heaven or perhaps in the Lord Jesus coming down and just talking to him. But in some way, during these years, Paul had ongoing conversations with Jesus about what he would later preach and teach in the churches. Well, let's review. Paul met with Jesus dramatically on the Damascus Road. Then he met with him quietly in Jerusalem in the temple. And then he met with him, thirdly, repeatedly in the area of Tarsus during this 10 to 12 year period when he was preparing or God was preparing him for his ministry. But now that's not all. In the book of Acts chapter 18, Paul got to the city of Corinth. He had been traumatized by what he had been through during his second missionary journey, including the brutal flogging in Philippi. And when he finally arrived in Corinth, he said that he came in fear and trembling. We've talked about this on earlier podcasts. But look at chapter 18 and verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack you or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So here in the city of Corinth, the Lord Jesus comes and appears to Paul, it says, in a vision. So we have these different words that are being used. Uh, Paul was in a trance, or he fell into a trance in Jerusalem. On the Damascus Road, he was blinded by apparently a literal light. In 2 Corinthians, he was taken up to the third heaven, and he had revelations from God. So we have these different words having to do with the ways in which Jesus connected with him. But Paul was having ongoing visits here from Jesus. Now we're coming to Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. It says, the Lord stood near to Paul. Now that's anthropomorphic language. This is, uh, uh, this is, I mean, literal physical language here. The Lord stood near Paul on the night after his appearance before the Sanhedrin and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you will also testify for me in Rome. Now, this is clearly Jesus speaking because he identifies himself. You have testified for me. You will stand before the Roman emperor on my behalf. So it says here, not that Paul fell into a trance or not that he had a vision or not that he was caught up to the third heaven, but that Jesus stood near him. So let's look at this story in a little bit more detail. This is in Acts 23. It really is the passage we're coming to as we work our way through the book of Acts. Paul is brought before the Jewish ruling council, which was called the Sanhedrin. The title Sanhedrin comes from a word meaning to sit together or to assemble. And the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 men plus the high priest, 71 in all, that met in a room called the Hall of Hewn Stones somewhere in the precincts of the temple. There are reports that the men sat in a large semicircle so they could see one another, and in that particular chamber, the acoustics would undoubtedly have been good. And so Paul was brought into this arena by his Roman uh, protector in order to speak to them. 
So chapter 23, verse 1 says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I fulfill my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Now, this seems like an abrupt, brutal interruption of Paul's message, and it was, but I don't think it was unusual. This man, Ananias, had done this before. We had actually seen this very same kind of scene portrayed uh, when Jesus Christ was on trial before the high priest in John chapter 18. It says, I'm going to turn there and just read this to you so you can compare what happened to Jesus with what happened to Paul. Uh, Jesus was brought before the same um, body, the Sanhedrin, on the night before his crucifixion. And he said, Jesus said, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues or in the temple where all of the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. Jesus said, if I said something wrong, testifies to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? So here Jesus began making his remarks and somebody near him, apparently on behalf of the high priest, slapped him across the mouth and said, is this any way to talk to the high priest? And the same thing happened to Paul, the same exact thing. He began making his remarks. The high priest gave some kind of indication, and somebody slapped Paul right across the mouth. Well, Paul was not having any of it. He was not very interested in being abused, and he came right back at Ananias back in Acts chapter 23. He said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. We can see the fire in Paul's eyes. He wasn't about to take any more abuse like that. And it seems that he might have been reading or studying the, studying the book of Ezekiel because he drew a figure that is referred to in Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel said about the false religious leaders of his day, they are like flimsy walls that are built and they're painted with whitewash. And though uh, they look like they are fresh and sturdy and strong, they are really just about to fall over and to crash. So a whitewashed wall was a wall that was decayed or deteriorated and was in danger of collapse, but people put a fresh coat of paint on it to disguise its rottenness. And so Paul said to Ananias, the high priest, you are a whitewashed wall. How dare you judge me for breaking the law when you're breaking the law more than I am? Well, those standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, and this is Acts 23 and verse 5, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Now, no one is quite sure what to make of Paul's response here. He might have been being sarcastic. Or he might have been saying that he didn't consider Ananias, who was a political appointee, as a genuine high priest. Or he might have been saying that his eyesight was so bad he didn't recognize him. We really don't know. 
But we do know that at that moment, Paul had taken all that he was going to take from the Sanhedrin. And so he did something masterful. He just shouted out, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial today because of the hope of the resurrection. And at that, the entire assembly just broke out into arguments and shouts because many of them in this assembly were Pharisees, and the Pharisees believed in the reality of the resurrection, but the others, including the high priest, were Sadducees, and the Sadducees, it says in verse 8, did not believe there was a resurrection or angels or spirits. And so verse 9 says there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Verse 10 says the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. And so Paul was brought into the fortress Antonia, which is adjacent to the temple and was the barracks for the Romans there. So now we come to verse 11, which is the verse that I referred to earlier. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Rome, so you must also testify in Rome, or as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So be full of courage. Just keep your courage up. Do not be discouraged. Stay encouraged. Take courage. Take cheer. You are not finished. This isn't the end of anything. You are going to make it to Rome. And just as you have testified for me here, you will testify there. And what a wonderful verse this is. It tells us that the Lord Jesus made in some way a visit back to Jerusalem and stood beside Paul inside the fortress Antonio near him and spoke at least those two sentences take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So that is the fifth time that in one form or another, Jesus appears to Paul during the course of his life, so far as we know. Now we have something a little bit differently when we get to Acts 27 and verses 23 and 24. In this scene, Paul is on his way to Rome. But the ship he's traveling on has been ravaged in a terrible, uh, terrible typhoon, and everyone on board is just at the end of their rope. I love the story of the shipwreck of St. Paul the Apostle. It's so full of spiritual lessons. But the one that I'm focusing on here is this one. Paul gathered the crew together, and he said, Last night, and this is Acts 27, verses 23 and 24, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. Now, this time, it was an angel. Jesus sent an angel, and an angel flew down to heaven to that uh, storm-tossed ship, Everybody was drenched, everybody was cold, everybody was frightened, and the angel bore a message from Jesus, 
and met with Paul on that sinking ship. Now, there is one more known time when the Lord Jesus met with Paul, and in his final known words, he writes about it. That would be the book of 2 Timothy. Paul described being on trial in Rome during his second Roman imprisonment, the one which would end in his execution, and this is what he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Here again, he says, the Lord Jesus. I was there in the dock. I was facing trial before Nero. I was making my first defense. It was my first hearing. It might have been against some of Nero's judges, but it was in the Roman judicial system. And it was such a threatening, frightening, uh, almost hopeless scene that nobody went with Paul to that hearing. But he said, the Lord Jesus was there standing beside me. Now, he was standing invisibly, and exactly what that means, I don't know, but Paul just knew that the presence of the Lord Jesus was standing beside him and giving him strength. So think of the various methods and means by which the Lord Jesus met personally with Paul at difficult and crucial moments. These are the Jesus visits at his conversion in the form of a brilliant light radiating from the throne in Jerusalem in a trance and Tarsus through extended revelations that explain the gospel, and it included a remarkable visit to the third heaven and the conversation about the thorn in the flesh. And then in Corinth, when the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision telling him not to be afraid in Acts chapter 18, and then back in Jerusalem, when the Lord came and stood near Paul in the fortress Antonio and gave him reassurance and guidance, and then on the sinking ship, through an angel, and then in Nero's courtroom, where the Lord stood beside Paul and gave him strength. So these are the Jesus visits. The Lord Jesus kept popping into Paul's life, and maybe much more than we know, but at least on these occasions. And, you know, it brings to my mind the many reports we're hearing about the Muslims who see Jesus in a dream, which often results in them being motivated to seek out the gospel message. But as interesting as that is, it's not my primary application here. I want to talk about when Jesus visits you and me. Now, Paul experienced the visits of Jesus explicitly, outwardly, in various ways that included trances and being taken up to heaven and visions and the Lord standing near him. It was in some way explicit. But the same Lord wants to visit with us implicitly or inwardly or spiritually or quietly and yet definitely. And at certain times, as I think back over my life, I can think of several moments when it just seemed the Lord Jesus, as it were, came and sat down or stood beside me to tell me something. Now, I'm not being uh, overly literal here. Jesus has never actually visited me and spoken to me the way that he did to Paul. I think that Paul was a very unique case, 
But there is a sense in which, from time to time, we sense and feel the visits of Jesus. When I was 18 years old and was as confused as I could be, I turned on the radio at random and I heard a preacher giving a sermon that suddenly captured my attention in such a compelling way that I ran and got a pen and paper and began taking notes. And it's as though the Lord was speaking just to me. I can still remember it. And that's what began triggering spiritual hunger and thirst in my life. It was just a dramatic moment for me. And I was 18 years old. That's been many decades ago, over five decades ago. And then there was the moment in September of 1971 when I just gave my life to the Lord for vocational service as though I were kneeling down right before him in his presence. And then I remember an evening in a canoe in New England on a lake one night under the stars when I just didn't know exactly what area of ministry the Lord wanted me to go into. And when I went out onto that lake in the canoe alone, I didn't know. And when I docked a few minutes or an hour or so later, I knew that God wanted me to be a pastor. The Lord just somehow met with me on that canoe and whispered in my heart, this is what he wanted me to do. There was the day on the airplane that I've told about many times when the Lord opened Exodus chapter 14 to me. I just saw things in that chapter so quickly I could hardly write them down. And I later called it the Red Sea Rules. And then more recently, there was a night on the patio when Katrina was in rapid physical decline and the Lord gave me a wonderful old gospel song that comforted me. It's as though the Lord said to me now, the next few Weeks are going to be very difficult, but here's what I want you to remember. Come what may, the Heavenly Father watches over you. And I took that assurance with me. And then there was the moment when Katrina passed away, and the Lord gave all of us, John chapter 11, verse 11, at 11.11 a.m. on 11.11 Veterans Day around her deathbed of 2018, and so forth. Now, I meet with the Lord every morning in Bible study and prayer, and I love doing it. But throughout the course of our lives, if we are walking with Him, there will be some moments that are truly life-directing, life-guiding, life-transforming, life-changing. Times when we just need a special word from the Lord, and we have a Jesus visit, and He whispers in our heart. He gives us some scripture. He gives us some reassurance, some direction, some guidance. I think that He still operates with us, not exactly like He did with Paul, but in a very personal and wonderful and intimate way when we walk with Him. In his book, The Caleb Quest, Mark Atterbury wrote about a woman in his church who was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. And Mark was with the family when the doctor told them the news, and he grieved for her because this woman was young. She had only been married a few years. She had a couple of, well, at least one beautiful young daughter. But a couple of days later, he went into the hospital room and found her all alone. The family had gone for a lunch break, and she said to him, I'm glad they're gone. I've been wanting to talk to you in private. She said, I want you to tell me if I'm crazy. And Mark Atterbury was puzzled, and he says, what makes you think you might be crazy? Well, she said, 48 hours ago, the doctor told me that I'm going to die in less than two years. Everyone that I know is completely torn up about it. 
There have been enough tears shed in this room to sink a battleship, but none of them have been mine. And then she reached down and picked up her Bible. She said, I've been reading this, and the more I read it, the better I feel about everything. I know that I'm supposed to be really upset. My family keeps telling me that I'm in denial and that one of these days I'm going to crash, but I don't think so. The more I read this, the more I just feel like everything's going to be okay one way or the other. And Mark simply smiled and said, My dear, you're not in the least crazy. You've discovered one of the greatest secrets of dynamic Christian living. The word of the Lord builds our faith and keeps us strong no matter what's going on around us. It's as though the Lord just came down into that hospital room gave this woman a book, and as she read it, he gave her such an enormous reassurance and peace that mo nobody could really believe that it was true. The Lord had met her in that hospital room. As I prepared this message, a friend of mine called Frank Wiley called. I love Frank. And after we had talked about the reason for his call, I said, Frank, before we hang up, let me ask you a question. Do you recall any times when it just seems that Jesus came down and met with you to speak to you or to help you in an unusual way? Oh, he said many times, but let me tell you about once. I was a brand new pastor, just a young guy. I'd been hired by the Sunny Lane Church in Oklahoma, and I went to work there, and the Lord blessed, and within three years, the church had doubled in size. But one day, the deacons came into my office and told me, they wanted me to leave. They no longer wanted me as pastor of the church. They said the church had grown too much and changed too quickly, and it was unsettling to some of the people. Well, I was very young, and I didn't know what to do. I asked other pastors, and they told me I'd be better off to leave. But I just started praying about it and meeting with the Lord about it. And one day, as I prayed about it, the Lord just said to me, Hold on. Hold on. So he said, I stayed and held on to that church, and I've been the pastor now for 49 years, and I'm having the time of my life. So here's my point. The Apostle Paul had Jesus visits, at least seven different visits or periods of visits that I can track. I believe that when our hearts are open to the Lord, the Lord also visits with us on special occasions when we need him. He steps in to speak to us, not exactly like he did to the Apostle Paul, but in ways that represent his spirit in our hearts and his word in our ears and a special openness at points to see verses we'd never seen before or to understand things that we'd never understood before. He steps in to reassure us, to guide us, to correct us, to help us, to strengthen us at various times and in certain ways that are beyond the ordinary. He knows how to give us a word in due season. I long for more and more such times, don't you? So let's all learn to pray as the boy Samuel did, speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. And let's all look forward to and appreciate and welcome the moments when Jesus visits with us as we make our way through life. Well, I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. This has been a little different kind of study because we have looked at a lot of different passages 
but it was intriguing to me and I always hope that if something has spoken to me, it will speak to those with whom I share it. Please check out uh, all of the podcasts from uh, the Book of Acts, the series called Unstoppable, as well as the Jordan River Rules and all of my other resources at our website, robertjmorgan.com. And join me every day on social media for a 59-second Bible study as we go through various books of the Bible. This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and his company, Clearly Media. Music is by Elijah Rowe. The Lord bless you for listening, and may he be with you until we meet again.